So I'm going to just go ahead and close in prayer. Because the message has already been spoken. It's kind of a way I roll. No. That message right there was back in the year 2000. May 20th, year 2000. It was in Memphis, Shelby Farms, at a conference called Passion. Passion Conference. Obviously, John Piper was speaking to a bunch of college students. There were about 40,000 college students there. That was back when I first moved to, to Dallas, right around that time. I had some friends go to that particular conference, and there are many that were impacted greatly for the Lord because of that conference. 40,000 college students. One of the things that stood, stood out to me as far as what he said said, people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I got 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. If you know John Piper, he went on to write a book, Don't Waste Your Life, and it's been a prominent theme in a lot of the things that he spoke. We we, uh, watched that video and had a conversation about two months ago in our small group. Um... And it still has that same impact on my life when I hear what he said and the things that he was bringing out about not wasting your life. How does that message strike you? Is that a reality for our body here? Are the things that he brought up about the potential of wasting our life, is that a real reality for you and for me? Could we potentially right now be living our lives in such a way where we're wasting our life. Not living our life fully for Jesus. Is that a potential for our life? Last week we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the hope of our salvation, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke 24 tells, tells the story of two individuals right after that time where Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, how many of y'all have ever seen the the show Undercover Boss? Undercover Boss, where the boss, he disguises himself. He works as in, in the disguise amongst the people that who work for him, and they don't know who he is. Well, this Luke 24 is the best episode of Undercover Boss that there is. And so let's review a little bit. It's a familiar story. So Christ has just died. The disciples have discovered that empty tomb. And they're distraught. They're they're wondering, where where is Jesus? The two ladies have gone to the tomb and they, they, they come back to the disciples and said, he's not there. Peter goes to the tomb and he sees that he's not there. And they're perplexed. So these two guys are on a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're walking and they're talking about the things that have just happened. And they're sad. Because this one who they thought was going to be the Messiah has just been crucified and he's dead in their minds. And they're sad. And this, this individual walks up to him, starts talking with him. And he seems to be clueless about what has just happened, and they're astonished by the fact. They're like, oh, how do you not know what's going on? Haven't you watched the news? Don't you have a newspaper? 
Check out your phone. It's the, it's the latest iTunes, you know, news that, that comes up. How could you not know this? And they start explaining who, who Jesus is and the impact on their life. And then things switch. Jesus starts to explaining to them the things concerning himself, and he takes them all the way back to Moses and starts giving them clues about who Jesus is, Moses and the prophets, and he goes through all the Old Testament. And he starts revealing that. In fact, we're going to be doing that here soon. Uh, Tom has some messages that we're going to be doing that. And Jesus goes and he reveals the things concerning himself all through the Old Testament. And after revealing himself to them as they broke the bread, and another great episode where they see the boss of all bosses, they see who he is. And the response was, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Could you imagine what it was like to be those two individuals? Just think in your mind right now. The hope that you have put in Christ, you thought he was going to be the Messiah. He dies. You think that that's the end of the story. He comes, reveals himself, and goes through all of Scripture and explains, here are the hints of who I am. And then he, then your eyes are open. You say, this is Jesus. Imagine what that was like for those individuals. Imagine if that is you. What would your response be? How would that impact your life? I imagine it had an incredible, incredible impact on those individuals' lives. May 20th, I said that that conference happened back in Memphis. It is said that many young people started living their life for Jesus based upon even this, that one sermon. But there have been many who have... um, been deeply impacted by the challenge that Piper gave that day. People described it in special terms like it was a special, holy weight of glory. They kind of described that particular time that way. But I wonder, how long did that last? You ever been to camp, gone to camp, made a decision for Christ, and you're ready to go, Right? And then sometimes, as if we're prone to wander, that impact is not felt as much. I wonder how long that that lasted for them. Some had a severe impact on the rest of their life. Some, I wonder if it lasted. How many of you have been camping? Anybody been camping? How many of you have been camping with a Canadian? The first time that I went camping with my children, we went with a Canadian, Lenny Carell and his boys and his wife. And they love to go camping. And there's a great thing about going camping with a Canadian, especially like Lenny. Lenny's a very experienced camper, and so you don't have to do anything. That's the great thing. <laughs> but the down part of that is the first time we went camping, it was around Thanksgiving, and it was 30 degrees out. 
bad thing about going with the Canadians, they don't cancel that. They don't, <laughs> they don't cancel that. And so we went out camping, freezing weather, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna, my kids will never go camping again. Fortunately, it was a good time. They did. But what is the one thing that you continue to do when you are your camping? It's a staple of your camping time. If you look on the stage, you might get a hint. Making a fire. And so there's a constant battle that you, you are going through when you're making a fire, right? What are you constantly trying to do? Keep it going. Keeping that fire going. Put it, Sage, go out, get some sticks. Robbie, go out, get some, and they, they love doing that. They love feeding the fire. But there's a constant struggle of feeding that fire and building that fire and keeping that fire going. I wonder if that challenge that Piper gave to us is relevant to you today. So what I want to put before you today in going through a passage in Acts are some logs, as we might say, that we can put on the fire of our heart to keep the affections for Jesus going in our lives. There's a lot of things that we could put on the fire. I'm just going to talk about two. And I'm going to pull it from Acts 20. But there's a ton of things that we could say. So I'm not trying to be super thorough. I'm just going to touch on two. So Acts 20, Paul is just kind of moving into his third missionary journey. Uh, He has spent some time in Ephesus. Obviously, the main character of of the passage is Paul. Let's talk a little bit about who Paul is. Interestingly enough, Paul, too, was a super passionate man after Jesus died, but not in the ways that you might think. He was fired up to persecute those who believed in who who Jesus Christ was. And he was determined to persecute them. Super fired up about that. Passionate about that. He was a zealous Jew. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. However, on the road to Damascus, there was another episode of Undercover Boss that happened. He's out to go persecuting uh, those who believe in Jesus. And guess who shows up? Jesus. And he blinds him. And then he opens his eyes to who he's persecuting. And so you see a man who is zealous to persecute those of the way to a man who is zealous to follow Jesus. And I want to look at his life particularly in this passage, to see if we get some hints as far as the, the logs that we can put on our, heart, on, on our lives to keep our affections strong for Jesus. You see, Ephesus and Paul have a long history. In fact, it's, he, you find out more about Ephesus because he spent such a long time with them. He spent two years, two years discipling uh, disciples in the hall of Tyrrhenius. And the impact of that, and this is a huge thing, and the impact of that, that all of Asia heard of Jesus as a result of some of this discipleship that Paul was doing. Huge impact, investing a lot into the people 
of Ephesus. They witnessed God do some incredible, incredible things for him uh, through Paul. In fact, he shut down the economy. That's how impactful his ministry was. Remember those idol, idol makers who started the riot because their, their, their trade was being affected because people were turning away from idols and following Jesus. And they weren't mad about the fact they were turning away from idols for the idol's sake. They were mad because their pockets were hurt. And so they started a riot. And that was the impact that Paul had in emphasis. So in Acts 20, Paul has been away from Ephesus a little bit. And he's coming back and he's determined to go to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he, and he stops by. He doesn't go all the way up to Ephesus, but he sends a message for the elders of the, of the church of Ephesus to come down to a beach where he's going to have a last conversation with them. In that last conversation, he's going to, he's going to pour out his heart to them and give them some, some instruction. That's what we're going to look at this morning, today. If you would turn in your Bibles, to Acts 20, verses 18 through 25. Acts 20, verses 18 through 25. It says, when they arrived, he said to them, you yourself know how I live the whole time I was with you. From the first day, I set foot in the providence of Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with the trials that happened to me because of the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not hold back from proclaiming to you anything that would be helpful. And for teaching you publicly from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks about the repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem without knowing what will happen to me there. Except, it's a big except, But the Holy Spirit warned me in in town after town that imprisonment and persecution are waiting for me. But I do not consider my life worth anything to myself so that I may finish my task and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And I know that none of you None of you among whom I went around proclaiming the kingdom will see me again. Imagine the impact of that last message had on these people who he spent so long with. Two logs to keep our affections strong for Jesus so that our hearts might too burn like the, the disciples did after Jesus opened their eyes. The first one I want to talk about is we must be people who are compelled. We must be people who are compelled. Acts 22 says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem without knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit warned me, town after town, that imprisonment and persecution are waiting for me. I want to go back to a quote that you heard from, from Piper. He says, you do not have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know 
a few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not people who are mastered by many things or have mastered many things, but have been mastered by a few great things. So when we come to this passage, Paul is compelled. When you look at that compelled, the other translations say that he is, um, he is tied to or bound to. It conveys the idea of, like, he has to go and do this. Uh, when I was reading this and thinking, I was thinking about the, the story of the Odyssey. How many of y'all have read the story of the Odyssey? The, I haven't done it. So I've, I've only heard about it. But I understand that there is a hero in that story who knew that he had to pass by some sirens, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that there was a great temptation that had to do with their singing. So what did he do in order to prepare himself to go through that temptation? Well, he gave the instruction to those who were on his boat that, one, they were to put wax in their ears so they wouldn't hear the singing, and to tie him to the mask. So that, and if he ever said anything, hey, get me down from this, don't listen to me in order to go past this singing and this temptation. Paul lived his life in such a way, if you go through a much of his story, his life was one that was compelled by the Holy Spirit. So many times throughout Acts, you hear him saying, I'm going here because the Holy Spirit is leading me there. And when you look at this passage, what stands out to you? I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but what? Holy Spirit warned me that there's going to be persecution waiting for me. But yet I'm compelled to go there. I'm going to be real honest. My boss doesn't like the statement, if I was honest, or to be honest, You warned me about something bad happened to me. My flesh says, I'm not going. If I go here, there's going to be persecution. No thanks, I'm out. But that's not the case with Paul. Paul has lived his life in such a way that the voice of the Holy Spirit is so powerful in his life that he is bound to go to do what the Holy Spirit says to do. And so when we see Paul in this passage, he is compelled to go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit told him he needed to. Time to do some self-examining. Looking at yourself. How much of our lives are compelled by the Holy Spirit? How often do I allow myself to really be controlled by the Holy Spirit in our life. You see, our flesh doesn't want to be mastered. We don't want to be mastered. We don't want to be controlled. Paul is compelled by the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a lot of things that we get compelled by. We can get compelled by knowledge. 
We can get compelled by careers, sex, appetite, family, fear. Sometimes those are even good things. But Paul is mastered by the Spirit. This is a prominent theme in his life. Throughout this big book called the Bible, you see many are drawn to Jesus. But we forget sometimes that it's the Holy Spirit that is the mover. It's the Holy Spirit. If we're going to move to Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that is doing that work. Who is the Spirit? Sometimes I think we forget who he is. He's not some windy sheet. He's not this whole, this, he's a real person of the Trinity. He has an impact on our lives or should have a great impact on our lives. In John 16, 7, it says he is our advocate. He is the one who will tell us the truth. In John 16, 13, it says he is our guide. In Romans 8, it says he is the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that one, where is he? He lives in us. Is raising somebody from a dead a big deal? Is that a big deal? How many of you have ever raised anybody from the dead? You're not that powerful. The one who raised him from the dead lives within you. That's a powerful statement. Do we allow ourselves to be compelled by this powerful person of the Trinity in our life? If we're going to keep our affection strong for him, we must be people who are compelled, who allow ourselves to be compelled. Second log. We must allow the main thing to remain the main thing. Uh, If you look at Acts 20, verses 24, I do not consider my life as anything to myself, so that I may finish my task, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the good news of God's grace. Again, going back to the video, Piper said, if you want your life to count, you must know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. Again, this message is going to be highly influenced by Piper's thinking. He sums up that verse that I read in, in Acts 20, 24, simply by saying this. It is better to lose your life than to waste it. Basically saying, you want to sum up that verse 24 of Acts 20? It is better to lose your life than to waste it. I think Paul would agree with him. If you go to Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10 says, For if we are are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is a task for us to do. Tommy Collins, there's a task for you to do. John Feltz, there's a task for you to do. 
Adria Warner, there's a task for you to do. I can name anybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ in this body and tell you that truth, that there is a task for you to do. God prepared before time for you to do it. There's a task for you to do. Philippians 1.18-24 says, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My confident hope is that I will no way be ashamed, but with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. Now if I go on living in in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I do not know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is much better by far, but it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. Sharon Obrey, for you to live is Christ. This time on earth, there's a task that God has for you, and for you to live is Christ. Far better for you to go home, but for you to live is Christ. Betsy Mays, there's a task that God has for you to do. And for you to live is Christ. This time on earth, that needs to be the main thing. For you to live is Christ. And again, I could go to anybody in this body and remind you of that simple truth that you know already. I'm not telling you anything new. But I know myself that I need to be reminded that my life needs to be about Christ. Now and always. If I'm living, it needs to be about Christ. Another passage in in Philippians 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There's a task for us to do. If we are living and breathing, we need to be about Christ. And be willing to suffer the loss of all things and counting them as dung. Doo-doo. This is what our life needs to be about. The longer I live, and this is something that we, we said in our ministry group, that message that John Piper gave was to 40,000 college students about living their life for Christ. And some senses, I'm 45-year-old, and I, I feel like that's more relevant to me now and my age. My testimony tells about going to Emmaus and learning all the things about God and being able to do some cool things, being part of cool ministries. But the older I get, 
The temptation to want to be comfortable, to live my life, to be at ease is greater now than I think it was then. And I wonder if that's true of you, to kind of put it cruise control. God has a task for us to do. And for breathing, for us to live is Christ. And he's worthy to kind of everything else to be rubbish. Compare the knowledge of Christ. My two things, two logs, two simple logs that you can take home this week and, and hopefully remember. Hopefully remember. We need to be people who are compelled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. I love that, that, that passage that talks about how we walk in the Spirit. I just love how it, it describes it. Walking in the Spirit. Very simple terms that you and I can get. We can get what walking is. If I'm walking, I'm, I'm following along. I'm, we get that. We need to be people who are compelled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, influenced by the Spirit. And we need to be people who make the main thing, the main thing. God has a task for you. For you to live, your breathing is Christ. That's what you need to be about, counting all things else as rubbish. I'll end with a story. One of the most influential things I heard from somebody that God has used over the last six months came from Reese. When he came back from Asia, he kind of presented before the whole body kind of what the process was, what happened, and they went through all that. One of the last things that he said was he talked about his struggle about how making sense of the time that he has spent overseas without any conversions. Going overseas and not really seeing anybody come to Christ during that time. And do you remember what he said in in order for him to kind of wrap his mind around that? What he said is he said, the only way that I can make sense of that is to think about my time over there as a sacrifice. I remember I was sitting upstairs. I remember thinking, okay, thinking about that as a sacrifice. And when we think about a sacrifice, you think about everybody else who is who doesn't understand the sacrificial system and they see it and how stupid that might look to somebody. What a waste that that might be from the outside. And I could see that everybody in the world could look at what they did going over there and having to come back and no, there's no, there's no real fruit to that. There's nothing that you're, you're saying that you, hundreds of people came to know the Lord. And those from the outside might look at that and be like, that was a waste. You wasted time. And what Reese brought up is that if it just meant that the sacrifice that I made was a beautiful aroma to my God. That's all that matters. Leaving the results of God being faithful to do the things that you're called to do. And letting God take care of the results. But the more important thing is, is your life a sweet aroma to your Savior? 
might be a sacrifice, but it's the sweet aroma to your Savior. I was doing some reading along the lines, and I came across a story about a man called Dr. Lindsay. In 1920, he was a medical missionary, Dr. William Lindsay, went to live as a missionary to a tribal people in the remote corner of the Congo. After 17 years, he returned to the United States, a discouraged man. Believing that he had failed to make an impact for Christ, apparently he didn't have any converts during that time. He died nine years later. In 2010, a team made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found a network of reproducing church churches hidden like a glittering diamond in the dense jungle of the Congo. And when they researched it, who did it lead back to? Dr. Lindsay. He might have been thinking, man, what a waste. And Jesus was doing something sweet. That was bringing fruit. 1912, he was over there? Fruit, 2010? Wow. We have an opportunity to not waste our life for Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to have its impact in your life. And allow the main thing to remain the main thing, being Jesus in your life. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. Because you rose again, we have hope. Because you rose again, we have the coming of the Holy, uh, of the Holy Spirit in our life who lives in us. The one who raised you from the dead lives in us, Lord, and I pray that my brothers and sisters, we will allow him to have his impact in our life. Lord, help us not to cruise as we live the rest of our lives, but allow you to be the main thing in our life. Knowing that you have a task for us to do. Knowing that for us, if we're breathing, to live as Christ. And counting all things as rubbish, Lord. Allow us to do those things, not because we want to be great, because it brings glory to you and puts a smile on your face and is that sweet smell to our Savior, that sacrifice that we live. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that we will live in a way that honors you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.